Welcome to the Onassis Air Conversations. My name is Mirto Katsimicha. I'm a curator and cultural worker based in Athens and your host in this series of recorded encounters with the participants of Onassis Air. Founded on the principles of learning and doing with others, Onassis Air is an international research residency program in Athens initiated by the Onassis Foundation in 2019. They say that what happens in one place stays in that place. I cannot find a better way to describe all the things that have been happening inside the Onassis Air House since I first entered as a participant of the Critical Practices program in fall 2019. The truth is, it is not easy to transmit an open-ended process of relationing which is very personal and relevant to a specific place and moment in time. How can I then give you a glimpse into that process? Everything starts with a conversation. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking with the Onassis Air participants to shed light on their artistic practices and needs, as well as to reflect on ways of being and working together. In this conversation, I'll be speaking with Path Ponce, Path is an independent Spanish curator, researcher, and writer based in Berlin. Over the past decade, she has been developing process-oriented formats, such as archival and research exhibition projects, art-in-residency programs, learning platforms, and professional networks, investigating the collective context in which art is produced and mediated. Path is a participant of the School of Infinite Rehearsals, Movement 5, with a collective research focus on modes of governance through the lens of self-organization. Today, we will discuss about collective practice as a medium for instituting otherwise. Path, welcome to Palidum. Hello, Mirdo. Thank you for having me here today. Thank you for being part of this conversation. I would like to start uh, our discussion today by discussing two terms that you often use in your practice. In order to describe your curatorial practice, you prefer using the term dramaturg on participation. The word dramaturg comes from the performing arts, and I'm thinking that in comparison to the term curator, which involves the notion of preservation through care, it seems to me that the role of uh, the dramaturg touches upon another temporality, which is more ephemeral. And I'd like to know why do you use this term and what does this term hold for you? I think that as a person with a background in art history, it took me a very long time in order to be able to say that I have a curatorial practice. For me, curating is a practice. And I come from associating my work to hybrid spaces where uh, learning happened in community environments. Um, therefore, I've been um, coming more to this world from coordinating and cultural management. And at some point, I started having a more uh, curatorial input into the way these uh, residences happened and where the emphasis was put Um, I have been uh, coordinating a residency called Affect, that it was a program um, for collaborative artistic practices in Berlin, organized by a space that existed formerly in, in Neukölln, a 
southern district of, of Berlin, very working class. We had a project space there called Agora Collective. And in the frame of this uh, community, we organized this uh, program that became somehow a curriculum of practices based in Berlin. We followed artists and other cultural workers who were working with uh, relations as their medium, a bit old school way of understanding socially engaged practices and the term of um, relational art, no? from Burriat. And um, our residency was following the work of some artists and, and my job was uh, to understand how their individual research could become a context for others to experiment together on one topic that was necessarily linked to the city of Berlin and to the context where we were operating. So, um, and this experience led me to understand my curatorial work more as a type of dramaturgy because I am working with uh, context. I am working with uh, durational and situated practices and I am looking at it from the perspective of how the work works and how is it received uh, from the reception point of view. So uh, if we're going to think a bit um, in the longer genealogy of, um, of cultural thinkers that have been thinking about the temporal dimension of curating or timing. No? For example, in, in Germany, I'm very uh, influenced by the work of Beatriz von Bismarck. There is this uh, seminal publication in the Sternberg Press on timing, on the curatorial dimension of exhibiting as a time format, then um, we are also very influenced in Berlin by some Eastern notions that come more from the um, former ex-Yugoslavic republics that are very connected to theater. And there is a publication uh, called Fra Fragica Journal for Performing Arts, and they have several um, editions on curating performing arts that comes from Zagreb. And all of this network kind of have a space in Berlin and they are part of daily discussions. And also the example is not Berliner, it's from uh, Stockholm, Tensta Konzhalle um, by Maria Lind. And, and, and this idea that is understanding a bit more um, the museum as a site for production and the gallery as well as a site for production and understanding the people who attend these spaces more as users. So it's a way of thinking the other end of curatorial practice, not so propositive, top down, but understanding exactly for who is uh, this invitation, who is there and how um, the participants are informing the experience and giving some signals for the person who is delivering the content to go into one direction or another one. So there are spaces that are more mutant, more malleable, uh, which are um, a very big characteristic of uh, project spaces uh, in Berlin and in other areas, no? where that are, they are more process-based um, spaces, let's say. So the mm, time uh, dimension becomes very important when we depart a bit from, from the object as a privileged form to arrive at, um, at knowledge, no? And then Tino Segal 
<clears throat> of course, is a very fundamental figure in Berlin, and he was also attached to uh, Agora Collective in a way. Um, we've had him very present in some of our residency editions. So, and then, of course, uh, through my Latin American engagement, Francis Alice, Santiago Sierra is another way to understand this, how to transverse the boundaries of participant-led processes. So I come from a practice that has to do way more with participatory, um, uh, participatory art, let's say, and from these to dramaturgical notions through these expansions of borders and spaces that are very poros and they have to do with everyday lifeness because my experience has been attached to communities that have sustained themselves in models like having studio houses, no? um, having co-working rooms, having um, situations where working, learn, art, play and nourishment have happened um, alongside. So then this um, spaces where imagination happens in a daily basis um, emphasize the temporality. But since you also referred a lot to the context, the second term that I wanted to discuss with you um, is the term contextual artistic practices, which you often uh, refer to as the focus of your work. Mm-hmm. And Personally, I cannot think of art without the context within which it is uh, produced, it is being produced. So I understand this term as a way to reinforce the dynamic relation between theory and practice. And I'm wondering, what does this term uh, mean for you? Or how do you understand it? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I would like to read you a quote that I use in my book <laughs> called the... Um, The Third Shore, a collective biography. This was um, a commission I had from an artistic laboratory in Cuba, Havana, that is kind of a model that is being studied of sustainability and cooperative approaches to art production that has successfully survived for 10 years. And when we're talking about temporalities in a context that uh, has other levels of precarity as Havana, uh, this is quite a milestone. And when I wrote this uh, biography, I came across this uh, quote by Nikos Papastergiadis. Um, and I think it summarizes very well this, this idea of the context that I'm speaking about. And I quote, um, In Greek, there is only a small typographic difference between the word that names the place where an event takes place, topos, and the one that names the way in which it occurs, tropos. To collaborate with other people, to receive and work with them, means taking into consideration the commitment that exists between topos and tropos. Collaboration is a way of receiving the others, which involves the recognition of where they come from and the projection of a new line marking the horizon toward toward which the practice as a whole will be directed. So this commitment between topos and tropos is um, between uh, the place where an event takes place and uh, the way in which it occurs is what I um, basically like to do with my practice. I think it's a type of dramaturgy because I repeat, it takes into account the point of inscription of, of, of that proposal and it's uh, interdependent 
um, with many parts that have to do with the ecology of, of art slavery that we are speaking about. So for me, it's funny when some people define themselves as independent curators, and I'm thinking of changing my definition to call myself an interdepend, interdependent curator. No, um, It is um, very important to understand that the context is shaping your uh, ambitions as a, as, a, as, a, as a person who proposes things. Because I think that uh, curatorial practice is a creative practice and has many areas of proposition. Uh, but of course, they are informed um, and deformed as well um, and shaped by, by the context. So um, on the one hand, for example, I do research this uh, history of cooperative approaches to art production. And I like to go to different art scenes and understand the political circumstances in which some uh, collective forms of self-organization arise. And another way to work uh, with context is uh, very related to um, what we would call site-specific practices that have to do with public art space no? or public spaces. And I think this is partially part of the contemporary dialogue that is going through so many movements uh, that are rethinking monuments, for example, or what is the validity of cultural heritage um, and which structures do we want to let go and which architectures do we want to preserve and how do we reread history. I think there is a, a tremendously big uh, awareness of, of the negotiation of what public means. So part of my practice that is a bit uh, outside curatorial uh, art uh, or practice that has to do more with my engagement in a theater collective has to do with working with context, working with communities and understanding cities and, and social nucleuses and as an open curriculum to, to dig into. But this also comes from this very old notion of relational art. The word of aesthetics derives from the way we relate to one another, no? I would like to know what is self-organization for you, because the way I see it is that self-organization always comes out of a lack of infrastructure, and it comes out of a, a sort of necessity in order to survive. So on the one aspect, I'm wondering how you define self-organization, and on the other hand, be living and working in a place like Berlin, where supposedly there is a lot of support towards the arts, why self-organize? Um, yes, I do totally agree that self-organization, it's, it's an answer to a um, context that we relate to. In It's a relationship of insufficiency, like we, we measure that something is not enough um, because it's related with a question of um, su survival and preservation of certain um, movements or certain spaces. It's, it's very um, local, uh, even though the conversation and, and the problematics are translocal. But um, self-organization performs itself as, as, as a local um, way of trying to impact the context where you live. I think that is transverse by a, a sense of solidarity, a sense of belonging and, and contributing to 
the, the, the sustainability of the sector um, with all its diversity. No? And I think that historically speaking, the history of self-organization has had to do with the question of commoning. What do we have in common? Uh, what do we have in common has to do with accessibility. And I think that now there is a shift and, and there is a second maturity level in self-organization. And it's to relate ourselves not through what we have in common. And what we can have in common is that we identify some resources are not enough and we have common claims and we have a common understanding of what uh, needs, what the soil needs in order to be... Um, uh, cultivated, if we understand culture as a cultivation, um, in a, in a in a longer, uh, in a bigger, broader sense. But I think that in another maturity level, that we are now is no longer what do we have in common, but how can we put at work our differences? So I think that this is why uh, this is a result of the feminism and 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 and, and black uh, activism visibility um movements that is radically changing the way that we have to conceive ethics and how we come together and the intersectionality of a sector that has mostly even come from the word visual arts and things like that and we are understanding um, other ways to to be together and to grant um, positions for other bodies no in this conversation. So it has to do with infrastructure. Um, it has to do with the way we relate um, to the notion of what has cultural value. Um, and I think that it has had to do with this idea of commoning and now we are moving towards um, commonality through differences. No? Since you've been involved with various collectives uh, in the past, I'd like to know what was your interest in participating in the school? Yes, well, um, part of this um, practice-based research that I conduct for many years is understanding how uh, hybridity in the way you configure your space, your program, your call for for practices, um, happen no so for me it's very important to go to different places and understand what are the skills on a place uh, what are these questions you know of insufficiency that are missing in a context and what are the different answers and replies um in which ways different collectives communicate no their, their styles is like a certain iconography we're going to talk about art history terms I do believe that unionism and uh, self-organization is the medium of our times. Self-organization, which is a form of collective governance that in um, a beautiful parallelism with the name of this program is this constant exercise of rehearsing societies that we want to become. Because also um, um, it's uh, rehearsing democracy in a way that we would like it to work because democracy as as well is 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 more a process of becoming no than than a structure that is working is is a horizon 
towards which we are moving, many societies that define themselves as democratic as well as we know are not representing everybody because we are creating new lexicons that are conveying the needs and the presence of other bodies. So um, I think that for me it's very important to be in this within these speculative frames that are putting many people together more or less with the same uh, interest, in our case, self-organization, but how this mandate that we give to ourselves is rehearsed in different contexts change. And I like to extract a, more a system of posting questions that is informing our structure than I'm looking for answers. Because I think that self-organization or spaces that decide to, to follow this scheme of, of decision-making and um, worlding together, um, need a certain muscle or structure of ways to position questions all the time, questioning together. So um, I'm also very happy that we don't have to produce anything else than a choreography of interrogations that have to do with ethics, that have to do with political emergencies that have to do with um, governments that have to do with disappearance of spaces and um, mutation of, of artistic formats into other forms of mediating culture. I do believe that institutions have lost legitimacy and they do not have an imagination of their own. So they do parasite and appropriate a lot in, in good and symbiotic and more or less productive ways the imagination that is coming from um, self-organized collaborative spaces. But do you think that um, in a way we are doing the work that institutions should be doing? Yes, probably we are and we shall remain very aware of potential instrumentalizations and, and forms of appropriation but we need to hack these structures and understand how can we both parasite each other, no? And But I do believe that in this way of understanding curator, curating as a social-cultural activity, um, you want to you want to revert something back to the local. You, you, you want to have an impact. Therefore, it's a difficult conversation that has to do with responsibility and having material resources for change and, um, and, and, and a certain dream that these processes are going to have a longer life and eventually they are going to make their way through these cracks that we are creating when we um, flirt with institutions. No? There is this promiscuity that in a level um, it's part of an events making culture and um, um, performative culture, but I think that many of us have an aspiration that eventually these institutions are going to become less um, ossified and, 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 and try to understand um, some other level of acting that is closer to the aims of the independent art scene. And speaking of dreams, I remember something that you told me before, mm -hmm. that the process of dreaming an institution is more important than that of becoming one. Uh, I really liked what you shared with me, and I'm wondering, during the seven weeks that you spent together as a group, what kind of structures did you dream about? Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if it's more important, but it's more interesting. Um, we have been dreaming about the end of capitalism, that it's the biggest dream and the biggest nightmare that we have. I don't know if it's possible because, as Lacan said, we are born in language and we can escape its structures, language structures. So the same as capitalism. Um, everything is, is, is capitalistic, but not everything needs to be neoliberal while um, annihilating and uh, homogenizing and unempathic. No? So um, I think that um, there is a very um, interesting article called Politics of Sleep. It's an essay, a, a text for the right to rest by Julia Morandeira and Ver Collective. And you can find this text also in a book that is called Party Studies. It was re recently published after the pandemic. And, and, and there um, they do um, speak a lot about um, how we haven't always slept in the same way and, and the notion of rhythm and idiorhythm or idiorhythm, how we can get out of this kind of zombie politics of slumber where we all sleep at the same time, work at the same time, and um, even has to do this this very big, no, like it, everything has to do with it, the, the substances that we take, the coffee, uh, the medicalization of society also follows the, the rhythms of sleep. So there is this very big choreography that um, I think that sometimes we we try to, break and, and create other moments and, and spaces to do other activities like uh, experience learning tired, no? um, mm, gathering in, in public spaces um, in a moment that you're not supposed to gather or sleep in the public space in a moment and in an, air, air, in an area of the urban setting that is not designed for that. How can we claim no, um, a, a urbanism, a public space, and, and, and a private space that can follow different rhythms that are not just subjugated to um, this hardcore um, work logic? And in a, in a way, you claimed uh, the Onassis airspace to do that and to break this sleeve pattern. Would you like to talk a bit about that? Yes, because I think it's something that they talk about this book in in this book party studies. There is this notion that our first exp like we need to experience um, context of disobedience and we need to create some disturbances, no? And without being disrespectful with the hosting frame, I think that is interesting to take the same resource you've given to us and try to to inhabit it in a different manner, no? And then there is always a context of, of joy and celebration um, into being together, gathered um, at, at night, no? It's a bit it's how you turn a working space also into a, um, a space of dissidence in a way. And, and, and this is more... Um, the framework of the ideas that I conveyed to my colleagues on that night, of course, the, the fact that we just met here at night, no? And then... Um, and you slept here. And we slept here, and then we, we read this text together. 
And we also schedule a series of walks through the city to understand um, what is the mood of certain public spaces when they are emptied of people or are they empty? Why do we say that they are empty if there's still people sleeping? And all of these notions that go more into a, a sensible social direction. Uh, but we fell asleep. <laughs> so I think that it was kind of the byproduct of this subtitle for the right to rest. There is a, something very liberating and creative into this, into surrender to a process of disintegration, you know, falling apart. And then as a whole, there, to resemble our parts together and it creates other bounds of, of trust. And of course, we spoke a lot about incubatories, no? like different uh, dreaming practices. I have been uh, working a lot with the topic of dreams in my practice. Um, um, as a storyteller and a curator, I'm, I'm very focused in, in those ellipses, no? in those parts of our lives that normally we don't bring to the light. And uh, failures is one of them, um, mistakes, no? and also dreams. Uh, for me, dreams are a part of a daily conversation. I dream a lot and I always work on things, but many people don't communicate so much dreams. And dreams can be fantasies of the future, can be uh, very subconscious things, can be night images. Um, so um, to come closer to this idea of, of things that are forming and informing our, our lives, but we not often do we have an intimate space to share them, no? And it's a cultural concept. Uh, we are not so into them right now, but uh, other societies deliberate uh, war conflicts and political decisions when women are pregnant, are, are on their period, and they put them to dream together. No, That's an incubatory. Um, also, for example, uh, in Islam, there's this very beautiful practice that if you really need to take a decision, you go to a graveyard and you sleep on the grave of someone you admire to get some inspiration. So um, also it has to do with the realm of the dead and who was there before. So I, I like these uh, thresholds where um, we try to work with what is not there or what is not seen or what is not rendered visible. No, And the realm of the night, of course, it allows for these other logics that escape the daily self-management imposed to us by work. Very much like this idea of sleep as a, a collective time that, you know, you can create together with others a shared imaginary and think about something else uh, together. Um, yeah, also because there is this very beautiful part in this text, Politics of Sleep, when they say that, I don't know if you realize that sleeping, for as much damage as the social fabric is, sleeping is always this moment where you surrender yourself to the hands of others because you know that the in this dream of this 24-7 society that always is in movement, somebody's taking care of some other aspects that needed in order for you to have your rest. No, So um, I think this is a bit more what we rehearse by times this night. And for example, I was the first one falling asleep, but then I had this timer and I clean the space before the cleaner came. So it's like you have, it's, it's different tempos, no? Um, but you are aware of what's happening in the space. It's just that I slipped in another moment and then I wake up at 5 or at 6 a.m. And in, in this way of taking turns and understanding what are the tasks that need to be done in a space 
And yes, it's a space for disobedience, but we don't want to make people's labor more uncomfortable. So that also was an interesting part of the night, no? Mm. Mm. Going back to the research, um, I would like to ask you, what was your initial research path, the one that you had to submit for the open call? And where does that Where do you see that standing now in terms of the collective research that you, that you um, ha- created as a group? A question of um, that comes to define institutions is that they always have memories of their own processes. And if you're a curator or an artist invited to do a work in an institution, to interact with the institution's history in itself is, for example, one of the elements you could be working at, no? Has to do with exhibition cultures, has to do with many things. So I was wondering, because um, I was wondering in which way the independent art scene or the self-organized movements that compose the fabric of a city that is very important, how can we sustain a memory process um, that belongs to ourselves when we have this... Uh, fundamentally different liquid temporalities and and there is stories of mutation and hybridization and now we uh, begin being this type of project space and then you merge with something else and then there is this constant shape shifting that sometimes comes from the inside as a decision of the collective and some others is informed by the circumstances no? again the context as a co-author so um In this level, I have been trying to find methodologies, interested in methodologies to archive um, stories around um, art scenes. But um, in, in my devenir as a curator, I have done the typical Western things as a very analytical mind that it's coming from our history and has a certain understanding of um, typical archival methods. I have um, made exhibition systems as, for example, I began comparing independent art scenes as um, as a type of grammar. And then I played with language and then I expressed this in the formation of sentences. And then I have done no um, different methodologies. Another time I also receive a commission to analyze um, all the representative movements like your union but in Berlin and I had to express it somehow and I made an exhibition with plants uh, to understand that this is an ecosystem and to position some questions always trying to find some metaphors that speaks for the whole but um, I became trapped in my own categorization mechanisms and I would like to find another way that is a bit more decolonial and less categorized fever uh, method to speak about what is happening uh, now uh, that is less mapping. No, that is it's an, it's a cartography, but it's more a, an effective cartography. And in relation to this uh, format, what I found here that is very interesting is some uh, project spaces that are um, developing uh, oral archives because they they have this sensation that things are moving very fast. Gentrification, uh, it's um, already brutal in many neighborhoods. Would you like to give an example of, um, of one of the spaces that you visited and the processes that you just described? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think these are two different things. The, the topic of the collective biography is um, what I am trying to find a methodology to, to do this work. Um, I, I, um, we decided as a group that we will um, enact research collectively and we kind of came to these three questions that we are all interested about when it comes to different ways of organizing. And we made a distinction between what is the choice for self-organization or collective governance. It's not the same. Um, you can be self-organized but not have collective governance. And um, you can be self-organized and experiment with self-governance. No? So this is what we've been kind of following. Uh, also based on these three questions like um, what type of organization uh, what type of form no, your organization has, how do you take decisions, how do you deal with conflict, um, because this informs a lot about um, the core of, of self-organized units, of, uh, given that there is an enormous plasticity into, into, into different forms of trying to find answers to contingent problems, because many of these are said to be temporary, temporary spaces, like some space that turns into a social kitchen while there is a scarcity of uh, food, for example, for distribution problems or people that are in more need. So not all of the spaces have a vocation for endurance no, or permanence. So um, this is what we've been making as a group. And then I think that um, the ways our questions made their way into every discussion that was, of course, more individual. No? So in these frames that um, I propose in this residency, these six days of speculation, because part of um, uh, our activity dealing with self-organization and trying to picture different models of working and living together has a lot to do with dreaming and, and, and finding forms for things that are not yet there. So um, I like to propose exercises where we take it a bit more abstract, even though I work always from context, but sometimes it's necessary to, to think from another perspective and look from the eye you have behind. And, and then I would always um, listen to these collectives and ask them more a question that has to do with, with vision or what do you think it's missing or what would you dream of have, having or just trying to bring them a bit more to this sense in which we are also um, envisioning things that are not yet there, no? Mm -hmm. So Like a collection of desires in a way, no? That I have gathered from the different spaces that we met, like Communitism or FAC, Feminist Center for Research or LUC, uh, Laboratory of Urban Commons, um, because the structure of a presentation of a group is normally always the same. This is us. This was happening. Uh, this is how we work. This is how we react. This is everything that is not working. But sometimes it's not so easy to be propositive and and get into an, an atmosphere where you can also um, name potential solutions because naming and creating these new lexicons of desire is already part of the path of arriving and achieving something. Path, we are about to close our discussion. And I'm curious to know, uh, what is next for you? I am in the process of developing a new project space in Berlin. Um, uh, this space um, is sustained by a collective uh, that we formed a year ago. It's a cultural association. It's called Neue Heute. Neue Heute is a game of words. 
Um, it sounds like new todays, uh, but it means new skins. And it's this idea of um, that we have related to curating um, the now, no? curating in the moment of, of unfolding. No? And, and curatorship, not so much as a statement, but as, as this idea of redistributing power, Um, so we are all curators, we are facilitators, some of us have academic or non-academic experience, we come from um, dealing with a lot of different forms of pedagogies, and we wanted to uh, create a space that is a laboratory uh, that accompanies artistic research processes. We don't want to be a presentation venue, we uh, want to counter model to counter a model that we have realized is unsustainable, that is Turing. We all have been exhausted by Turing as part of performing arts world, as part of uh, curatorial ways of being and traveling and working with others. And um, part of it is research, but another part is the necessity to always um, rely on a funding that always values more what is outside that, than what is inside. And we are a combination of professionals coming from different practices that we want to live in Berlin. And we don't want to miss out what our friends are doing. And we don't want to invent a community. We want to be part of one. So we want to open a space where people are showing what they are doing while they are doing it before they leave or when they come from a residency that you have a port that is a bit uh, a storytelling device that um, is where you share um, these isolated moments of research uh, while it's happening and now what is coming next is to really um, creates the pathway of how we are going to work as a collective, how we're going to take decisions, how we're going to share the space with others, and how are we going to curate it by sharing it and creating different ways of using the space. And in this sense, this residency is key because I come very fresh from studying many different ways that uh, collectives constitute themselves. And this sometimes it's not the beginning of a process. I like that in this way, all of us that we formed the collective, we had to attend to the practicalities in order to develop trust, responsibilities, and now we come to the dreaming part. So I hope that we will find a way to establish mm -hmm. this new kind of uh, tempos and structures to accommodate mm -hmm. our own rhythms. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you so much for yes. sharing and reflecting with me. Mm -hmm. It was a pleasure talking with you, Path. Sure. Thanks for thinking together, Mirta. Thank you for listening. If you want to listen to more conversations, please subscribe to our channel. You can find more about the UNASSE residency program and each participant at www.onasses.org. This series is produced by Onassis Air. Thanks to Nikos Kolias, the sound designer of the series, and to Nikos Liberis for providing the original music intro theme.